Hi, welcome to the Cork Church Podcast. We're very glad you're joining us today and we hope this message inspires you, builds your faith and encourages you in the things of God. Enjoy the message. Wow, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. The Holy Spirit is here. The anointing of God is here. The presence of the Lord is here. If it's your first time here, we welcome you. You may not understand what's happening. You may not understand what you're feeling. Maybe the the presence of the Lord is new to you. But welcome to the Lord's presence. Welcome to God's house. Welcome in today to Court Church. What a rich time of worship. Thank you, Pastor Stephen. Wonderful team that led us into the very presence of God. Uh, And I was so delighted when Andy quoted Acts 1038 because we're going to be talking about the anointing um, this morning uh, because there's such a rich presence of the Holy Spirit. There's such an anointing, what we call the presence of the Holy Spirit when he comes. And uh, it feeds us, doesn't it? It refreshes us. It lifts us. Uh, it's that spirit that uh, Paul talked about in Romans, the spirit that is in you will quicken this mortal body. He will bring life to you. And that's not just for, for physical healing. That's everything in, contained in this mortal body. That's your mind. That's your emotions. That's your psychology. That's everything. Amen? So he, he quickens us in every arena because it's a, it's a whole salvation that he offers to us. He saves us in every area. And that's the good news of the gospel is that it is a full redemption. And wherever his anointing is, there's liberty. Amen. And wherever there's liberty and freedom, there's an enriching. And there are things that get freed up when his spirit comes, things that we're captivated by, we get loosed from, things that harden us, Uh, that harden our hearts, his Holy Spirit comes and he begins to soften our hearts and opens our our hearts to receive from God. It's like a flower when the sun comes. It just, you know, things in life can cause you to shut down and close up. But when the Spirit comes, you begin to open up and see things differently. And that's what happens when we're in the presence of the liberating life of Jesus Christ. And he's here. And we're so thankful that he's here to open doors. Amen? Amen. To, to cut chains off of us, uh, even things that are self-inflicted, and most of them are uh, self-inflicted, to cut them off with his presence. And it's amazing how quickly that happens when he comes and his spirit comes. Uh, Isaiah ten twenty seven. I had this in my notes, believe it or not, but that is the way the Holy Spirit does. He orchestrates things. But it says this, and it shall come to pass in that day, and it's talking about now, the now, today, that his burden shall be taken away from off your shoulder and his yoke from off your neck and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Isn't that wonderful? Isaiah prophesied and said that there's gonna come an anointing on the earth. There's gonna become a presence on the earth that will break bondages and free God's people. That's the promise. And it's interesting that the word here for anointing, it's used in different ways. There's different words for it throughout the Old and New Testament. But in this special application of it here, 
It's not talking about an oil that used to get poured out to anoint or announce a new king or install a new priest. They would pour an oil out and that would signify that that man is ordained for that, per, that place. This is a different usage of this word. The, the word actually here means fatness, that the yoke is going to be destroyed because of fatness. And so, in other words, this is what God is saying through the scripture, that, that the gospel, the work of Christ, is going to come. And it's going to work in you. And it's going to, and it's going to cause you to grow. And it's going to cause you to be enriched. And it's going to cause you to outgrow things that used to enslave you and keep you captive. Amen? That's the, the, the ever-present help of the Holy Spirit that he's causing us to grow and those yokes that seem to used to control us, you know, they break off of us as we grow in the Lord. As the fatness of the Holy Spirit, as the, the, the riching power of the Holy Spirit, as we walk with him and as we move in the Holy Spirit, as we f- move, walk forward in our faith with Christ, God has promised, I'm going to fatten you up. Now to some of us, we might not like that too much, but, <laughs> but it's, in a, it's in a spiritual context that God is going to, grow us. And that picture of an oxen being captivated by a yoke, that's what Isaiah gave. And that thing, you know, it eventually, because it keeps feeding on the corn, it keeps feeding on the richness of the, of the, of the harvest. It grows and that yoke gets tighter. And let me just encourage you. Let me just encourage you. Sometimes things may be getting harder because you're outgrowing them. Amen. Uh, you, you may be experiencing the, the, the death throes of a yoke in your life, and it may seem like it's, it's getting harder, it's getting tighter, but just hold on because the Holy Spirit is at work in you to cause you to grow out of that and to break asunder those things that are controlling your life. Amen? And we witness to that in this place today. We are witness that he is alive, that he's here in this place. I was thinking as we sang that song, I stepped out of the grave, I was thinking, you know, we really rejoice as a Christian, over two empty tombs. The one with Jesus' name on it and the one with our name on it. Amen? Hallelujah. So we are, we are rejoicing that his tomb is empty and mine is too. Amen? We are raised to life. Uh, we're being enriched by the Holy Spirit. We're being poured into by the Holy Spirit, by the Word of God. And God is, God is ever increasing the government on his shoulders in our lives and breaking the dominion of, of governing issues in our life. Isn't that wonderful? And he's promised to do it by grace. He said it won't be done by your flesh, by your zeal, by your ability, but it will be carried out by his zeal, by his ability, by his will in your life. And how many of you know he has an unbreakable will? Hallelujah. His will is ever towards us. And I believe this morning, as we look into the word, we're gonna go to Luke chapter four, so turn there with me. As we get into the word this morning, the Holy Spirit wants to speak to some of us about a yoke that is choking us. One particular we're going to talk about, and, and I was so encouraged again by the worship, so encouraged by what Brother Andy said, uh, something that is, can constrain us and keeping us fettered in our faith and keeping us fettered in our past keeping us fettered in bad emotions, keeping us fettered and anchored in unbelief. The Holy Spirit is a liberator. He wants to set us free. So we're going to talk about that liberating anointing this morning in a very specific area of bondage that I think every believer has to contend with. 
And, and I believe that as we get into scriptures, you'll see why. But it's something that is, it, it is so common to every believer that Jesus himself identifies in his name with this battle. And he wants to encourage you that he's in the battle with you, that he's been to this battle and that he is carrying you through it and that he is going to see that you experience freedom and life in your life. I want you to look with me in Luke chapter 4, 14 through 30. And we're going to read this portion together as we get into today's message. Today's message is finding faith where your dreams have died. Now, I usually don't speak in, in these kind of topical things and kind of just cleverly put that out there more for the Internet than anybody here, because we're going to talk about uh, something that God is doing to this. But, you know, there is something about uh, going to a place where your dreams have died going into a cul-de-sac, going into a place where it seems like you're in dryness and barrenness and God meeting you there. That's really what we're going to talk about today. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading at verse 14. Just chart along with me here as we go through, and it's going to be something that's going to be very uh, very easy to follow. Luke 4, 14, this is what it says. Let me pray first. Father, I just give this word to you. I step out of the way. And I ask you to deliver your word to your people through this vessel, that you would unlock doors, you would open understanding, you would set at liberty the captives, those that are weak, those that are anchored to unbelief, those that cannot see your hand, that cannot understand your work, those that are captivated by the now and not by what is to come. I pray there would be a release of the Spirit. There'd be a release through your word. And we would come out of this place today, out of our Nazareth, out of that place of dryness into a place of rejoicing and wholeness. Lord, we give you this word and we pray you would come and you would do what only you can do with it, bring life. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke chapter 4, 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit into Galilee. And a fame went out concerning him through all the region round about. And he taught in their synagogues and being glorified of all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. Everybody said, say this, and he came to Nazareth. He came to Nazareth. The Holy Spirit has directed him to go home. So he's being led by the Holy Spirit back to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And we know that from around the age of two to the age of 30, this is where he lived. This is where he grew up. He went to synagogue. Uh, it's where he, he enjoyed the festivals that they would celebrate. It, it was here that there was a group of these people that were with him when, uh, when he was 12, or he was 12 years old and he was in the caravan heading back to Nazareth. So they know him and he knows them very well as well. So he's going back home. And, uh, so as he does, just like he's always done, it says, and he entered as custom was. Folks, how many of you know that Jesus went to church? And let me, let me just encourage those walk, walking or watching online. If there was an online service and an in-house service, how many of you know Jesus would take that extra step and come into the house of God? I'll just leave it there. But this is what he did. Anyhow, he, 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 he went into the synagogue, into, into the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And he opened the book. And he found the place, it was actually a scroll, 
And he opened the scroll and found the place where it was written. Now this is Isaiah 61. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Now he could have continued on, but he stops there. And in verse 20, it says he closed the scroll, he rolled it up, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fastened on him. Wow, he is, he is, they're watching and they're waiting. And he began to say to them, today, this has the scripture been fulfilled in your ears. And all bear him witness and wondered at the words of grace which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, doubtless, you will say unto me this parable, physician, heal yourself. Whatever we have heard you do in Capernaum, do also here in your own home, in your own hometown. And he said, verily I say to you that no prophet is accepted in his own hometown or his own country. But of a truth I say to you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three, three years and six months, when there came a great famine over all the land, and unto none of them was Elijah sent, but only, uh, only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon unto a woman that was a widow. So Jesus says, Elijah bypassed the Jewish widows and went to a foreign widow. So this is what he's saying in Luke 27, or 427, and there were many lepers in Israel, thousands, hundreds, hundreds or thousands of lepers in the time of Elijah the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And this is what it says. Look at this. Look at how things, how quickly things turn in this local synagogue. And they were all filled with wrath in the synagogue as they heard these things. And they rose up and cast him out of the city and led him into the brow of a hill whereon their city was built that they might throw him down headlong. Wow. Serious, serious reaction. Talk about being triggered. Talk about being upset. These folks were very upset by what Jesus just said to them. But he passing through the midst of them went his way. So Jesus just, it was one of those divine moments where God just delivered him out of their hands and he walked on and he walked away. Verse, verse 14 launches into a great start for Jesus's ministry. When you look at, at, at verse 14, it says this, he returned from the wilderness and the power of the Holy Spirit into Galilee. And, and there in that region, the dynamic power of God is, is being poured out in this area that is so dark. In Galilee, we don't have time to go into the history, but it was a dark place. It was a place of great mixture, of superstition, affluence uh, in, in Decapolis and those areas around there. There was a lot of demonic activity there. You read that throughout the works of Christ that he was confronting demonic powers in, in, in that region constantly. And in one town after another, in one village after another, Jesus is going around and he is awakening people to the reality that God's kingdom has come. 
that the long-awaited promises of God's deliverance has finally come. And this is true to form to what God had prophesied in Isaiah. For those that sat in great darkness in the land of Zebulun and Naphtali and in Galilee have seen a great light. And this was prophesied that he would come there first that he would, he would begin his ministry there and this would be the place where he would announce not only verbally the kingdom, but he would demonstrate in power that the kingdom has been established, that the king has come, that there's a new government in town, not a sheriff, but a new king, amen? And so he is there and he is showing his dominion over death, showing his dominion over sickness, over sin, because he is forgiving people in bodily form, in synagogues. He is showing his dominion over creation by walking on the water. Jesus is going about and showing that he is truly the God-man. And he is revealing the heart of God. And he's healing in every little town, stopping in villages and preaching in the local synagogues. And he's ministering uh, with the life of God. Now, this is what is happening. And his name is being talked about everywhere in Galilee. That's what we get from Scripture, that his fame is just going around. Folks, I want to tell you, in a time where there was no social health care, no good doctors, no good hospital system, if you found out that there was someone that was able to heal the sick, your name would be known everywhere. In a place where there was oppression, where there was sickness, where the devil was just rack and ruin, running through people's life, if there was a deliverer or a prophet that came on the scene, word would, spell, would, would spread very fast. And it spread very fast. And Jesus' name was, being, was just being heralded all over Galilee. And the carpenter's son from Nazareth, this is what they were saying, that the carpenter's son from Nazareth is anointed by God. It's what they would call in the day shmika. It's anointing. They would call it a, that was the name for a rabbi that spoke under inspiration and authority. They called it shmika. That's what the Jews called it. But he had plenty of shmika, plenty of anointing. The Bible says that God gave it to him without any limitation. That God moved in his life in such a powerful way. He's speaking in great authority and power. And his words are captivating and they're life-changing. And, and, and at this point in his ministry, he's gathered a handful of men to himself, which rabbis would do. They would go and they would choose young men to themselves and call them out. Even though he had no uh, official training, no formal training, he's got schmeck, he's got the anointing. There's something about him that is, that is speaking and into people's lives. And he is a, a healing rabbi and he's a, a healing minister. And so he is growing in, in stature. He is growing in anointing or, or in the release of the anointing and his ministry and impact is growing daily. Okay, so this is where we are in Jesus's ministry. So around the Sea of Galilee, these communities are being blessed and transformed. I mean, this, this is a, a, a real uh, outpouring, uh, something that God is doing in Christ. And in verse 16, Jesus turns his sights towards home, towards home. And uh, we have to remember that Jesus was not only God, but he was man. How many of you know that? And he loved his hometown. He loved the people of his hometown. He was concerned for Nazareth. And so he's, he's led back to his family, back to his roots. He's led back into the synagogue. Uh, and Nazareth, if you know by the map or by geography, it's not that far from the Galilee. You know, it's just a few miles. It's not a huge distance. It's just really a few miles from where transformation is taking place. 
It's a short walk from Nazareth to where miracles are happening and being performed by our local boy, Jesus. Our local boy, our, our Jesus. And so there's a, there's a community pride about him. There's something about him that they are looking forward to him coming home because they've not seen him. He went away. They heard he got baptized. He's been gone for, for a few months. And now he's, everybody's talking about him. So they are very proud of their local son. And so word comes home to Nazareth about Jesus, Joseph and Mary's son, the oldest son among seven, and the little town of no more than 2,000 uh, and no less than 800 was anxious to see him. They wanted to see him, and, and, and now this news has come back, and there he comes home, and they've heard he's going to be in the synagogue, and so everybody shows up. The place is packed out, standing room only, inside and out. The whole town shows up. And so this is his first homecoming, his first Saturday back in church or back in synagogue. And everyone's there. The, the place is packed out, family and friends, old schoolmates, uh, Saturday school teachers. They didn't have Sunday school teachers there, but Saturday school people that would have taught him and imparted into his life. People he and his father had built homes for had done furniture, built furniture for, remodels and additions, repaired roofs and all of those things. These are people that he knew. That's what I'm trying to get. He knew these folks. They knew him. And so they're swelling with pride and he is, he is looking forward to being back in his home church, back in his home synagogue. And they're all there ready to welcome him. And they're all ready to see what all this talk is about him. And they, and they show up. And, and if anybody there is doubting him, it's not made public yet. So if there's some naysayers there, if they're wondering, oh, this was the, the, the Jesus that I grew up with and, or I knew about. And if there's any of that, uh, it really, it hasn't shown up because the Jews, it, it was every mother's dream that, that, that they would give birth to the Messiah. Every young mother's dream, every woman's dream that their son would be the chosen one. And so the fact that they thought that our, the chosen one may come from Nazareth had created quite a buzz around the place. And so this is a warm welcome. He's a hometown hero. And there's no talk of, of anything negative around his arrival. And this is, this is the, the scenario that we're looking at. There's a welcoming spirit, a warm smile. And, and as we read on, though, as we, as we read about Jesus coming home, it turns into something completely different. Turns into something completely different. And, and when you sit and read this story and you put this in context, that, that these weren't strangers, that these were neighbors that he would pass. These were people in the town that he would have had fellowship with and people that he grew up with. It, it, it really causes you to think about what's happening in the life of Jesus himself. As he's going back here, to, to his hometown and what's happening in the lives of, of, of the people there as he, as he is coming into uh, his hometown. It's kind of hard to take it in. You know, we can read through scripture and we can detach ourselves from it and not really feel the emotion or the weight of it. But this is, this is significant. Imagine going home. Imagine going home and, and God leading you home and, and, and you going there and with a heart full of love, with a heart to help, with a heart to heal. And, and that homecoming turning into a, a, a lynch mob that's ready to see you thrown over the hill. I mean, this, is, this takes a drastic turn very quickly. 
And, and it would be like, I don't know if you've ever watched a movie, but I, I love my son, David. You know, David, he is so funny. Like he's like a, uh, you know, when we're watching a movie, if, if somebody's going to get embarrassed in a movie, David will leave the room. You know what I mean? He's like, he doesn't like to sit that uncomfortable feeling, you know, when somebody does something or when things get tense, he's like, he's out of there. And then he'll come back when things have settled down. But I don't know if you've ever experienced that when you're watching a movie or something that's more true to life and it kind of resonates and you're like, this is making me uncomfortable. I, I, I don't really, I want to get up. You know, maybe, maybe it's time to take a bathroom break and get out of here. But you get that feeling when you read this, that this is really uncomfortable. This is really, Jesus touches a nerve in his, in his homecoming, man, that, that, that I don't think anybody was expecting. Uh, we'll get to that in just a moment, but, but in just a, sh- a few short minutes, Jesus, this local prospect, uh, is going to unleash a torrent of rage and anger in the people he's known all of his life. And it's amazing how our hearts, how Jesus is, he sits as a refiner, the Bible says, on, on men's hearts. And, and he's able to evoke so many different things in us at times. And at this point in time in his ministry, he is going to evoke anger. He's going to evoke wrath, the Bible says, out of, out of people that he loves. And, and what's most exceptional about this is that that. It's him pushing the button. It's not them pushing the button. It's not they're, they're, they're with open hearts. And, and Jesus had an opportunity just to give them the Beatitudes, let's say, or, or something that he felt like would bless them. But you have to understand his heart is for his people, right? And he knows there's issues in Nazareth that need to be dealt with. So he takes the opportunity that he gets to, to, to address what nobody's talking about. And he goes right into the heart of the issue with everybody there. Luke says this, when he stands and reads the scripture and sits and announces how he is the Messiah, the fulfillment of Isaiah 61 and all the hopes of Israel, everybody's listening with open hearts. Wow, he is, you know, when it says they wondered, there's a a warmth in that. There's a, a, a warm affection with that. They're not saying, like, who does he think he is? No, they're, wow, this is it. Our Jesus is going to be, he's the hope. He's the Messiah. This is good news for us. You know, after we've lived here all of our lives in this, in this place, something good is happening. And it says they wondered at his gracious, gracious words. And the word for wonder is a word of admiration and awe. They were admiring him. They weren't, they weren't in shock, they weren't in anger, but they were open. In other words, they had open hearts, and they were blown away, really. That's what they're sitting there trying to figure all this out. They've heard of the miracles, they've, they've validated miracles, they've heard of this, and so they're, they're there, and they're wondering, this is Mary and Joseph's son, and God is using them, look at this. And Jesus then speaks into what seems like warm hearts and open minds. And he says this to them. After he sits down, he says, today this is fulfilled. He sits, gives a scroll back, and they're waiting for him because his, his thing was he would go into synagogues, share whatever scripture was on the date of that day, he would say it, and then he would teach. So they were waiting for him to say more. And this is what he says to them. A prophet is without any honor 
in his own country. You're going to say to me, heal me like you did those other people in Capernaum and Galilee, and I'm going to pass you by. Wow. Like God passed all those widows by in Israel during the time of Elijah. I'm going to be healing others, but not you. That's what he's saying to them. Imagine that. They're excited. They're, they're, but Jesus brings this word. He says, I'm, I'm not coming here to heal you. I'm not coming here to give you what you think you need. I'm not doing that. That's not, that's why, that's not the reason that God has brought me here. To give you what you think you need. I'm going to pass over this place like Elisha passed over all the Jewish lepers to heal the Syrian general Naaman. And because I won't do what you ask of me, you will reject me. Wow. This is what he's saying. He says, because I'm not going to give you what you think you need, you're going to jettison your faith in me. You're going to throw me, you're going to try and get rid of me. I'm not going to be welcome here because I'm going to pass over and I'm going to open the door of healing and power to other people, but I'm not going to open it to you. Now, he didn't put a timestamp on that. He didn't say that, but just for the moment. He wasn't saying that it was never going to happen. He was just saying, this is not what I'm going to do here. And just like that, everything changes. Just like that, boom, the flame is lit. Anger is ignited. And the Bible says they rush forward, grab him, and take him to the nearby cliff and try to throw him over it. What a difference. Welcome home, Jesus. The welcome home party is broken up. Now it's no longer welcome home. Jesus is get out of town as fast as you can. Here, we're going to help you out, right? This is where they've come to. But Jesus slips away through the crowd, and he just goes right over the hill and heals hundreds, if not thousands, of people. Wow. Just a short walk, a few miles away, these people are from healing. They're, they're, they're away from the power of God being unleashed or unlocked in that way. And, and you can look at this verse in so many different ways. I want, to get, I want to get right into it. You can talk about so many different things here, but I want to say, what I want to say to you today is that Jesus, under the anointing, under the direction of the Father, put his finger on something in Nazareth that needed to be addressed. It needed to be dealt with. More than their physical healing, more than manifestations, there was something that was eating at that community that needed to be addressed. Because it was a faith community. Nazareth was a faith community. They were Jews. They believed in God. They trusted. They heard the word of God. So there was something insidious in that community that Jesus had to push the button on. It was something that he had to deal with. He, he wanted to deal with something that was there. And as soon as he touched it, it comes to the surface. As soon as he pushes the button, the issues are exposed. And I don't believe for one, one minute that Jesus was callous. I don't believe for one minute that he was hard towards people that he loved very deeply. People he had been in their homes with, eaten with, and grew up with. I don't believe for one moment that this was some sort of 
power play on God's part to try and lock people out of something. No, God is after something in this community, in this faith community. God is after something that, that is more important than a physical healing, that is more important than, than deliverance from demons, more important than those things. And, and the Holy Spirit directs Jesus. Imagine being given that message to preach in your home church, right? Wow, but he did it out of faithfulness to God and, and where God led him. There's something in Nazareth that needed a different touch. And folks, I just want to say that to you. Sometimes when you come to the house of God, God doesn't give us what, God doesn't touch us sometimes where we think we need to be touched. Sometimes he goes to issues that we don't even know about and he begins to deal with them. Things that we're not even willing to face. The Holy Spirit, when we come to truth, and it's out of a compassionate love for us that Jesus comes to us and makes us uncomfortable. That he begins to deal with things in our lives that are really, it's a greater healing than a physical manifestation. Because it's lasting. This is something you could get healed and still have that same issue. You could have a miracle and it not change you. You could have a, 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 someone being delivered from whatever bondage and it not be the change that will, will make the big difference in your life. How many of you know Jesus wants to go to the root of the issues? And he does that through truth. He does that. And, and I'm so thankful that in our lives, in our Nazareth, that Jesus comes to those places, into those difficult places, those Nazareth in my own heart where I'm not willing to deal with issues. Jesus is not afraid, folks. He's a faithful deliverer. He's a faithful friend. He's a, and I love what David said, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Jesus was so loving that he didn't care about their reaction. He wanted to deal with what was at the root cause of Nazareth's difficulty. It was a place that had deep-rooted issues, things that held people captive. A deep unbelief had settled into this faith community. Remember what Nathaniel told his brother Philip? Do you remember that in John chapter one? Nathaniel's all excited. Or sorry, yeah, or sorry, Philip tells Nathaniel, he goes to him and he says, Come and see. Come and see the Jesus of Nazareth who God has raised up. And Nathaniel replies to him, he's like just a straight shooter. He says, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I mean, really. If God's going to do something, it certainly isn't going to be there. They have a history of dysfunction. They have a history of brokenness and of unbelief. They're stubborn and they're stiff-necked. How is God ever going to do anything in Nazareth? So this, they're, they're, although they're an obscure village, they have a history. Although they're an obscure people, they've got a reputation. They've got a reputation and Jesus wants to lift that stigma that is on them for their behavior. Jesus wants to lift it. Jesus wants to change Nazareth. Jesus wants to see his people that he loves come into freedom in this faith community. He wants to see them come alive. So he goes right to it. He goes right in for a greater healing than a body, a greater deliverance than a demon or the power of hell. He comes to speak to the issue of the day. He comes to speak to set this town free. And I want us to pay close attention as we, into, we go to the, the, the heart of the matter. Every one of us have to let Jesus deal with our own personal Nazareth. There's got to be a place where we 
have an open heart for Jesus to come and speak in those areas where it may be difficult, where we shy away from, in those places that really deeply hold us back. That's what Nazareth is. What is Nazareth? What, what is Nazareth? What is this place that Jesus wants to speak into to cause us to grow and to break off yokes that keep us held back? Nazareth is, is, it can represent a lot of things, but this is, this, is, this is some of the stuff that it represents. Nazareth is the place where we come face to face with God's allowances and purposes in our lives. Where we deal with what God has allowed, where God didn't intervene, where God has delayed his coming, where it seems like he's been silent, where it seems like he has passed over us. Nazareth is that place where our faith has to come to, where we, where we have to deal face to face with that part of our heart that says, God has passed me by. This is the place of dead end dreams. This is the place where, you know, God has let me come to a place of great disappointment. How could he do that? How could a loving God allow such uh, seemingly unloving circumstances in my life. That's what Lazarus, Nazareth represents that. It represents that place of being passed over. It represents that place of dryness. We'll see that in just a moment. The times, the times when he was there and life seemed to go on as if he wasn't, as if his promises were forgotten and his deliverances have been withheld. That's what Nazareth is. Think about this for just a moment. God was hiding in their midst for almost 30 years. Nazareth. God was hiding in their midst for almost 30 years. It's, it's, it's mind-boggling. He was, he was walking among them. He was at their tables. He was building their homes, silently working away in their midst. All the while... In Nazareth, because it's got that reputation, things are going downhill. Things aren't getting better there. Jesus is living there 28 years, and things are getting worse. There's human failure all around. Dreams are dying. People are making mistakes. They're hurting one another. Families are falling apart. Parents are having to deal with children that have got diseases, mental you know, incapacities, all these sorts of things. Everything is going on in Nazareth, and yet God is living there. And not only is living there, he's growing there, and he's growing up there, and he's being formed there. And you would think that because God is there in their midst, that everything would be different, but that's not the case. Life goes on in Nazareth. And while this is happening, right under their noses, God is forming Christ. Right under their noses, there's a boy growing up that's going to be their deliverer. Right under their noses, God is about to unleash a power in this world that would change history. And they couldn't even see it. They didn't even know what God was doing in their silent time. In their time where it looked like he had passed them over. They didn't understand it. They couldn't see it. They didn't have eyes to see it. And this is exactly where Jesus is going. This is exactly, he's come back to Nazareth. To, to tell them that the prophecies have been fulfilled, that God has formed Christ in this dry place. Verse 
right in the middle of all their pain, right in the middle of their life. Nazareth is a crossroads of sorts, if you want to say it that way, that all believers come to. A place where your faith will be deeply tried. The people of Nazareth couldn't accept God's purposes for them because they were limited so deeply and greatly by their own resentment at what seemed like God's delayed deliverance. There was deep resentment towards God's allowances in Nazareth. And Jesus knew that. You forget, folks, he grew up there. And how many of you know family? (laughs) How many of you know your hometown? The small community, you know everything about it. There's a resentment in Nazareth. There's something boiling. People come to church, they quote the Torah, they quote the prophets, they know the stories, they sing the hymns, they do all of that, but there's a resentment towards God. There's something that's built into these folks that Jesus puts his finger on. And not in an indicting way but in a way to draw it out so that they might come to heal, that they might come to him for deliverance. Jesus puts his finger on it. We're gonna close very shortly. I'm going to withhold from you a deliverance you think you need and give you instead an invitation to trust me, to surrender your past and your future into my hands. And they boil over. This faith community filled with unbelief, They boil over. What do you mean you're going to pass us over? What do you mean you're not going to release your power here and now and do what I think I need? And Nazareth is that place that God deals with disappointments at his delays. Where he deals with his apparent, where he deals with us, where we feel like he doesn't care. Our lack of, we feel like God is lacking care and interest in us. The Bible says in Isaiah 11, that Jesus would come as a a root out of dry ground. A root out of dry ground. Jesus would grow and develop in Nazareth in a dry place. Folks, that's why you can't despise your Nazareth. That's why you can't despise unanswered prayers. That's why you can't despise God's delays. Because it's in Nazareth that God is doing something that is more profound than a healed body, that is more profound than an answered prayer immediately, that is more profound than what you think you need. There's something that God is forming in Nazareth and his name is Jesus in that dry ground. The root comes through the dry ground, hallelujah. It's in those times of our Nazareths. It's in those times where our dreams die. It's in those times that the root is growing. It's in those times where, you know, where we start to feel resentment. God, why have you passed me by? Why didn't this work out the way I thought it should? Why, why, why? It's in those times that you don't understand and you can't see because we're limited. And, and our hearts get filled with unbelief. And we find ourselves persecuting the work of Christ in our lives. We find ourselves fighting against the work of Christ in our lives to set us free. Nazareth is the place where God's silence, God's apparent lack of involvement in your life will come face to face with the reality that he has been working all along. Hallelujah. It's the place where 
what the, the things, the wrong thoughts you had about God are put on open display. And the Holy Spirit exposes. Folks, God spoke to me this week through this, as, 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 or as I prepared for this, that we can get bogged down in Nazareth, a Nazareth way of thinking, and we can miss out that God is doing something much deeper, much deeper. He was there in the midst. I want you to think about this. God was working all along in this no name, this city of dead end dreams. God was working all along. More so than anywhere else on the planet. That's amazing. Yet outwardly, it didn't appear that way. It looked like the opposite. Can anything good come out of that place? <laughs> when God's in it, he can. I said, when God's in it, he can. When God's in it, something good can come out of Nazareth, a dry place, a root can, can crop up, a tree can begin to grow, a life can be born. He was there in the midst, and God allowed things to be hard. He allowed things to be barren, to take a turn, to be dry, to be difficult. And you're going to have to deal with this resentment and anger in your heart towards the Lord that he allowed that. Are you ready to deal with that? Are you ready to deal? Some of us here have to deal with maybe an ongoing thing. Things that just won't go away. And resentment wants to creep in. Or resentment wants to keep you in Nazareth and, and build anger to the point where you just want to jettison your faith. I'm just throwing the whole thing away. I'm just throwing the whole, this thing about Jesus, him being anointed, this thing about him being a fulfiller of hopes and good news. I'm just throwing the whole thing because I haven't seen it in my Nazareth. I haven't experienced it in my life. You're going to have to make a choice. We're starting to close now, but the Holy Spirit's going to put us in. You're going to have to make a choice in Nazareth. Will I throw my faith away? Will I, will I just throw it over the edge, say it's too late, too little, and allow hardness to let Jesus pass right by me? Nazareth is the place where you deal with your anger that God withheld some things to give you the best things. And in short, it's the place where God is forming Christ in you. I tell you what, I would rather, my spirit man, not my fleshly man, but my spirit man speaks in faith, I would rather God form Christ in me than to heal my body. I'd rather God form Christ in me than to do to give me some temporal deliverance. I'd rather God form Christ in me than to, than to deliver me out of trials and testings. And I've got to deal with the anger that comes up. I've got to deal with the resentment and I've got to let it go. Folks, we have to let it go. Nazareth is the place, if you're there this morning, that you've got to let it go. You gotta let it go. You've gotta, you've gotta trust him with all of his allowances. You've gotta trust him 
for what's happened or not happened. You've got to trust him that, yeah, your dreams may have, have died. You've got to trust him that things didn't turn out the way that you thought they should. You have to trust him. And you've got to allow him to speak to you and heal you in Nazareth. Thank God some folks were healed in Nazareth. I love this. I'm going to close with this. We're closing. In just a moment, we're going to pray. I love that Jesus' name, he was known as Jesus of Nazareth. Isn't that wonderful? Hallelujah. Jesus of the hard place. Jesus of the, the, the dry ground. Jesus of the place where dreams die. Jesus of the disappointments. Jesus of the storms and the challenges. Jesus of the sicknesses. Jesus of the difficulties. Jesus of that place. And in that place, he shows that he's Lord. He shows that he's Christ. He shows that he is our all-sufficiency. And it's something that he wore and he bore that name to his grave. The enemy tried to use that against him, even to deride him. But later it became one of the well-known sayings that this was Jesus of Nazareth. God can come through in hard places. God will come through in hard places. He is the Lord of the hard places. And this morning, you're gonna have to reconcile your faith to that because it's his heart to come to this community of faith and build you up that you see that he's Jesus of Nazareth. Hallelujah. He's gonna form it. He's gonna grow in you in those times, in those places where you don't think any growth is happening that's the greatest time of all because Jesus is manifesting his life in you and through you. Can you stand with me? Hallelujah. Is he your Jesus of Nazareth? Hallelujah. Is he your Jesus of Nazareth? Is he the Lord of your Nazareth, of your dry place? We're gonna pray right now. This is the prayer. I just wrote this out because... It helps me. Here's our call to respond this morning or this afternoon. God, I've been stuck in Nazareth in a dry place of not recognizing you or seeing you. My disappointment has clouded and suffocated my faith in you. I've been angry with you. I've wanted to throw you and my faith over the cliff, but you've always come back in your faithfulness to me, to speak to me, to show me your heart, and your plan. I yield up my anger at your wisdom in my life. I yield up my resentment at the times you allowed pain and disappointment. I, I relinquish my rights to be angry. I relinquish my rights to be disappointed. I ask for you to unlock my prison door this afternoon. Lead me on from Nazareth. Lead me on to freedom and liberty and you. Lord, forgive me for my anger at you for being stuck in Nazareth willingly. Please wash me and cleanse me. Help me to find you as my liberator today. That's our prayer today. Can we pray? Hallelujah. Father, you've promised to form Christ in us. Hallelujah. You've promised, Lord, that through the, the storm, the disappointment, the sickness, the challenges to make all of these work together for good. 
and form your son and conform me to your image. Now, God, I'm just asking you now that you would touch every heart who's stuck in Nazareth, who's stuck in a place that they can't get over, who's stuck in a place where they can't yield, they can't find that trust to trust you with life's disappointments, to trust you with dryness, to trust you with the difficulties, to trust you in spite of these things. I ask you now, Lord, that you would, you would touch lives and you would liberate and show your love and your care to everyone who is stuck in Nazareth, who is stuck in that place of unbelief, that God, that there would be an anointing that would release them from these bondages, that would release them from this place today, and there would be liberty in your house, that this wouldn't be like the synagogue in Nazareth, Lord, but it would be the place, it would be like your church in the upper room, that there'd be a rejoicing in your house, there'd be a freedom in your house, that we would begin to see you are greater than our dreams that have died. You are greater than life's disappointments. You are greater than the hurts and the pains and the difficulties, and you are worthy of it all, Lord. You're worthy of it all. We worship you and we bless you. And we thank you today for the word of God that sets us free. Bless us today with your presence, with your encouragement. Lift us from this place. Bring us to a place of trust. In Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in with us today. I hope you were blessed. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Cork Church. Also, make sure to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. If you have any questions, you can email us info at corkchurch.com or just check out our website, www.corkchurch.com. Again, thanks for tuning in and see you next time. God bless.